It's a good thing to be in church, see God's people. Uh, one young man asked his friend, says, why does your grandmother study her Bible so much? <clears throat> and he says, I'm not sure, but I think she's studying for her finals. Uh, it's a good thing for you to be here and get into God's house before your finals are due, isn't it? Amen. Be faithful to the Lord that way. Today is Palm Sunday. It is the day that we recognize uh, for the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It was springtime. It was a Sunday, sometime about the year 30 A.D. Uh, Jerusalem was crowded with pilgrims who had come in for the annual Passover celebration. The day began as all other days did. Uh, at sunrise, you had the sound of merchants opening their shops. Uh, Bethany was not a large town. It was more like a village, and families were getting ready for the day. In one home, though, uh, there was uh, something different because Jesus was there. It was the home of Mary, Martha, their brother Lazarus, and uh, Jesus had visited with them and stayed with them many times. Their home was a special place, a refuge for him. In fact, last time he had showed up here, he came for a funeral, and he kind of turned the thing upside down a little bit by raising the dead guy that they had met for to have a funeral for. You know, whenever you see Jesus show up at a funeral, things get disrupted, amen? And uh, that's what happened there. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is getting ready to leave and go to Jerusalem on this day. No one, not even his disciples, uh, have any idea what's going to happen on this Sunday morning. On this day, Jesus is going to be praised. And I want to read about it starting in verse number 1 of Matthew chapter 21. The Bible says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, they were coming to Bethage upon the Mount of Olives. Then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. If any man say unto aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, the colt of the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put, them in their uh, put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When it was come unto Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came unto him in the temple, and he healed them. Father, I pray today as we look at this story, and we try to recreate even from the pages of Scripture this day, may we uh, learn from it what you would have for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach for a few minutes on lessons from a king. This is a very famous episode, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now you have to, uh, it, it tells us in John, rather than what we just read, uh, sometimes you have to read the whole uh, gospel as a collection to get the full picture, but it tells us in John that the leaves that they were waving was Palm 
uh, where palm leaves. It's a clear in this passage that Jesus is orchestrating this day. It's a symbolic day. Jesus wants us to teach us who He is and what He came to do. On this day, we see Jesus riding in to the cheers of a crowd. He is a king. And today, I want to look at three aspects of His kingship. I want to look at the fact that He is a confrontational king. He is a counterintuitive king. And He's a coming king. We learn in this text a a little bit of each one of these aspects of who He is. He first is the confrontational king. Now, as you read the Gospels, you'll find something interesting. Uh, Up to now, when Jesus heals someone or He uh, makes someone whole or whatever He does raises someone from the dead, He often tells the people to tell no one about what's happening. Keep it secret. Don't let it out. Uh, Many times He has said that. I'll give you a few examples. Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, when He healed the leper, See thou tell no man but go thy way and show thyself to the priest. Matthew 16, 20. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Mark 7, 36. After he had healed the deaf and dumb man, he charged them that they should tell no man. Mark 8, 30. After Peter identified Christ, he said and he charged him that he should tell no man uh, of him. Mark 9, 9, after the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, He charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen. Luke 5, 14. And He charged them, tell no man, then go and show thyself to the priest. Luke 8, 56. After He raised the little girl, her parents, the Bible says, were astonished, but He charged them to tell no man. Luke 9, 21. And straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man the thing. And on and on. There's many more verses in the New Testament where Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody what just happened here. There are a number of reasons He does this. Uh, for, <clears throat> first off, we have to understand that Jesus did not come to the world so that He might heal the sick, that He might give the sight to the blind, that He might raise the dead. That was not the primary purpose that Jesus came. Jesus came so that He might give His life a sacrifice for our sins and that he might institute the local church. His mission was to die on the cross for our sins. Secondly, and this is important, Jesus did not want people focusing on the miracles he performed, but the message he proclaimed. That was the most important part of why he came. And another distraction was, the more claims that people would make about him, and the greater deal they would make about Jesus, the more desperate the religious leaders in that time would be to end it. And Jesus was not yet, uh, throughout His ministry, He was not ready for His ministry to end. Uh, He had still had things to do. He had men to train. But it all changes on this day. Now He's headed to Jerusalem for His final week. Three things happen in succession here. Uh, We have the blind men, the crowds, and the cleansing of the temple. We didn't read about the blind men. It's just a few verses uh, before what we read. But in chapter 20, uh, verse 29 The Bible talks about a great multitude that is following Jesus. It's Passover. So great crowds of people are on the roads into Jerusalem. At one point, two blind men say to Him, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Thou Son of David. Now, Son of David is a messianic term. It's a messianic statement. Son of David was the way they talked about the Messiah. They'd been waiting for all these years. The one who would liberate Israel 
from all of their problems. Jesus says to these men, What shall ye that I shall do unto thee? And he heals them. Now this was a change. Because up to this point, people had told, Jesus had told people, keep quiet about his identity. Uh, don't tell anyone, but today is different. We see today that Jesus is beginning to draw attention to himself. Uh, he does so because he's about to fulfill an ancient prophecy. He does so because he is about to present himself to the nation of Israel as their king. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Zechariah said in chapter 9, verse 9, as Zechariah rejoiced greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt of the foal of an ass. Jesus is about to fulfill that prophecy, every last detail of it. It's interesting. Here are two guys that say king, Messiah, and Jesus says yes in front of everyone. And he heals them. He does not refute the title because he is who they said he was. Now can you imagine the excitement in the crowd? You again, you have to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, collectively to get a full picture of what was happening on this day. But the crowds were starting to come out from Jerusalem to meet the crowds that were going into Jerusalem. And they begin to shout and cheer. They begin to say, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now, Hosanna does not just mean hooray for you or three cheers and uh, just uh, celebrating someone. It means a little more than that. The word Hosanna means to save us. And, and they were saying here, Hosanna, son of David. They were quoting Psalm 118, a messianic psalm. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. And may I remind you, they were not in Brookings, South Dakota. They were in Washington, D.C. They are saying these things as they go into the capital city and they are calling him Messiah, Son of David, save us. People ringing the praises of the Messiah King. We next see in the, in the time frame here of the text the cleansing of the temple. Jesus goes into the temple. He, ch he chases out the money changers. He says in verse 13 something very interesting. My house, he said, shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. My house? That's interesting. You know the only person that has a right to walk into a house and rearrange the furniture is the owner of the house? Would you agree along with me? Actually, in all honesty, it's the wife of the owner of the house, but you know what I mean. Uh, it's, he said, my house, and he goes in there and he cleans it out. Now understand this moment. This is the second time Jesus uh, cleansed the temple. The first time happened right after his uh, first miracle. And in John chapter 2, we see something interesting, verse 16. Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. Now he calls it his house. Jesus Christ, after a time of secrecy, is publicly declaring himself as the Messiah King. The time has come. He is now confronting the city. He's confronting the leaders. He is forcing the issue. He's essentially saying, here I am. Crown me or kill me. That's the choice you have. He is the confrontational king. 
uh, he, they have to accept him for who he is, or they have to destroy him. He is still confrontational today, my friend. You can't read about Jesus in the Gospels without facing the same decision. Now, I don't mean this way in any way uh, irreverent uh, towards Jesus Christ, but have you ever noticed that Jesus is at the same time unbelievably humble, but not at all modest? What do I mean by that? Look at his life. Look at his humility. He's a very, in fact, the Bible says how he uh, made himself willingly to be a servant. He took on the form of man, made himself of no reputation because he was humble. Look how tender he is, how gentle he is with women, with the children, with the poor. He shows love to the harlots and people of other races, the down and out, the despised. He's a humble, humble Savior. But modest? Not so much. He's constantly saying things like, before Abraham was, I existed. One day I'm coming back to judge the whole world. He, met, he said in one point, I was there when Satan was thrown out of heaven. Uh, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus Christ was incredibly humble, uh, but he was absolutely honest about who he was. And this forced a decision then, and it forces a decision now. What Jesus is doing here is pushing the envelope. He's telling them, you have a choice. You can crown me or you can kill me, but you must take me as I am. In other words, make me your Lord or reject me outright. That choice is still in front of us today. Consider this example. My name, as you know, is Ivan Yoder. Now, suppose I was to come to your house to visit you. I knocked on your door, and you answered the door. It's always a nice thing when people answer the door. Uh, I just want you to know that. When, when I hear from the other side of the door, shh, the preacher's here. Nobody move. That's not as, that's, that's a little insulting, to be honest. Not that that's ever happened to me, but I've heard stories. But you cannot say when I, uh, when you go to invite me in, come in, Ivan, but stay out Yoder. I, I can't separate, I don't have an Ivan I can separate from the Yoder, you understand. I am all Ivan, I'm all Yoder, and so you have either all of me or none of me. You cannot, my friend, say, come in Jesus, stay out Christ. You cannot say, come in Savior, stay out King. He is who He is. This is His message on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. This is what anybody who reads the Bible will see. He's the confrontational king. You must recognize who he is and receive him as he is. He's confrontational. He's also the counterintuitive king. Now, if you read this story, it's almost like the triumphal entry is a series of paradoxes as you read the account. It's one of the, on one hand, it looks like any other triumphal entry. It happened before, 200 years before this moment, Simon Maccabee had defeated the enemies of Israel and uh, they, he had kept Israel independent. And after that, he rode in Jerusalem. People were cheering and waving palm branches and, because he had delivered them. Yes, that was a triumphal entry. So this looks just like any other uh, when you bring in a conquering king. But there's one major difference. And I'll give you a quote from Brazo's commentary that puts it well. Victors in battle do not ride into their capital cities riding on asses, but on fearsome horses. 
This king does not and will not triumph through force of arms. That Jesus would pick a baby donkey to ride in on creates a comical picture. Have you ever seen a donkey? They're not that big. I don't know how tall Jesus was. Let's just say he was the perfect height, 5'7". That's the proven perfect height. Uh, So uh, even if he were not any taller than that, uh, the feet are almost dragging the ground. It's It's a comical picture to see a triumphant king. They're waving branches and they're throwing their clothes down and and they're bowing and they're shouting and they're cheering and here he comes on a donkey. It's it's almost a humorous picture. And yet it's by purpose that he did that. Uh, Here, why would a great Messiah, the great king, come in on the foal of a donkey? Well, first of all, it fulfills Scripture, but he's also telling us something about himself. He is coming in to rule, um, but he's also coming in to save. Hosanna, the word means to save. He's coming in to save, don't miss this, not by taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. That's how Jesus is going to save. Hosanna. He's going to die on the cross for our sins. In other words, salvation being provided through weakness can only be received through weakness. I'm going to triumph through weakness. And then my followers can only receive me the same way. We're not saved today by the strength of our good works. We're not saved by our morality. Jesus Christ did not say, look at me, look at my power, look at how moral and great I am. If you live like I live, then you can be a Christian too. That's how you get to heaven. No, that's not how. That would be salvation by strength. It would be salvation only for the worthy. Instead, we have salvation through weakness. Salvation is not a reward to the righteous. It's the gift to the guilty. Amen. Romans 6.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but the gift of God... I just lost it. Isn't that something? It's age. I'm telling you. When you get older, stuff like that just flies away. Uh, For uh, the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation through weakness. This is for people who admit they're weak. And that means anybody can come. But do you see how counterintuitive that is? Men for centuries, ever since man has been uh, after the fall and as man started to uh, create and populate the earth, uh, men have always had religions. Religions in which they, uh, they, they're desperate to think that they can measure up, that they can earn their way to heaven. The pride of man drives him to self-sufficiency. And that's what we see in religion. Religion is all about, if I do this, then I can attain. If I do, do, do. Religion is all about D-O. Christianity is all about D-O-N-E, friend. It's done on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. But it's hard for us to come to the point where we say, I am not worthy. I am not good. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And we have to come to the point in our life at some time that we say, Lord, I recognize I am a sinner. I am wicked. There's nothing I have to offer you for my salvation. Uh, My righteousness are as filthy rags. And it all rests on Him. Jesus Christ made Himself weak, gave Himself over to a 
criminal's death so that he could pay for our sins. I read about a pastor in the Philadelphia area. He was on the uh, rotation to be a chaplain at the hospital. And one night, middle of the night, dead asleep, he gets woke up and he is called into the hospital. And he has to go in and see someone and so he gets dressed, he goes all the way into the hospital. It's like, the, it's like 2, 3 in the morning. He gets there and the man he was supposed to see profusely apologized and this is what he said, I'm so sorry. They got the x-rays mixed up. Turns out I don't really have cancer. So I don't need to talk to a pastor. That is a man that does not know his own need. We have a problem as human beings. We often go to God. We ask Him to give us what we think we need. And what did these people on this day think they needed? They were sick of Rome. They wanted somebody to come and deliver them. They were ready to take up swords and go to battle to have Rome defeated. And they, would, they, would, uh, they, they thought that Rome was ruining their world and so they wanted a deliverer from that. What they actually needed was what you and I actually need. Someone to come in and bear the judgment for them. You see, they were the people ruining the world. Everybody in the human race is part of that. Christians, we love to point out at a wicked society around us, man, it is their fault. It's those people's fault. It's the, the world is becoming so wicked. God put the healing of every nation upon the shoulder of His people. If my people, which are called by my name. We're all the problem, every one of us. What they really needed was pardon for sins. What they really needed was for someone to reconcile themselves to God. What they needed was somebody to bear the punishment that they deserve. So here you have three different things that we still deal with today. You have what they wanted, what they thought they needed, and what Jesus actually gave them. That's why we see them shouting here, Hosanna! You're coming to give us what we think we need. <laughs> That's really what they were saying. Of course, Jesus wasn't bringing that at all. Let me make one more observation here. It's important, I think. Never has there been a more vivid example of the fickleness of human nature and the worthlessness of human celebrity than this story right here. As I mentioned, the crowds are coming in and they're going out of Jerusalem, coming in and going out. They're meeting there. Now, this is, uh, city is only so big. Statistically speaking, and almost certainly, the, some of the same ones that were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna to the Messiah King today are also the next week crying, crucify Him, crucify Him after, their, uh, after they didn't get what they wanted. Let me ask you today, you want approval from the world? You want fame? You want acceptance? Even if you get it from the world, you'll be yesterday's garbage before you know it. It's fleeting, and it's not worth going after. We see a great example of that even in this story here. Friend, don't waste your life seeking the world's approval. How much more important is the praise of God rather than the praise of men? Praise God that in the midst of worldly rejection, uh, He is there to receive us. John 6, 37, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Philippians 1, 6, Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you uh, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 38, For I am persuaded 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth or any other creature shall separate us from the love of our uh, or the love of God. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 Be content with such things as ye have for he has said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Psalm 27:10 When my father and my mother forsake thee the Lord will take me up. John 13:1 Having loved his own which were in the world he loved them unto the end. Praise God. Those whom God loves he loves to the end. Those whom the world loves it loves until Saturday and then kicks them down the street. Don't follow after the approval of men. It's fickle. It'll pass. We see in Palm Sunday another lesson. It represents the lifelong mismatch between what you want from God and what He gives. The difference between our expectations and what God actually provides. What we think we need and what God says we need. What we think we need is almost always shallow because we're fleshly. What we think we need is often way off base. We need to ask God for what we really need. God's going to give you what you really need, not what you think you need. He may not grant all your wishes, but He will exceed all your expectations. I I love this quote. I've said it before. It's something good for us to remember. God always gives you what you would ask for if you know everything He knows. See, we don't know what he knows. We have yesterday. We have today. That's where it stops. We don't have tomorrow. I, don't, I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't tell you what's going to happen five years from now. But God knows. You know, he's there. He's there in your life just as much as you are in yesterday. You can remember what happened. You're, you're in today. You know what's going on now. But you don't know what's going on tomorrow. Why not trust someone who knows tomorrow as well as yesterday and today? God gives you what you would ask for if you knew everything he knows. He's the confrontational king. He's the counterintuitive king. And then he's also the coming king. The people in Jerusalem that day, they thought Jesus was coming to put everything right. This is why they were cheering. This is why they were excited. He was going to put down all injustice. He was going to relieve their suffering. He was going to put an end to their oppression. They thought Jesus was coming to put everything right. He wasn't coming to put everything right. He was coming to put them right with God the Father. And that's what's so much more important. You know what's wrong? What your relationship with God is more important than your circumstances, friend. Everything being fair and right in your life. Your relationship with God supersedes that. And we see a twofold picture here that depicts the future when he returns and does put everything right. One of them has to do with the branches, the palm trees. When they say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed means to cause to prosper. And what they're really calling for there is to put everything right. And that's what they so desperately wanted. They wanted out of under Rome's oppression. They wanted Jesus to put everything right. When they wave palm branches, they're looking to the day where the palm trees wave their own branches. Psalm 96, 12, Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice, for he cometh to judge the earth. Isaiah 55.12 says all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And when the true king comes back and he puts things right, everything in nature will work again. There will be complete harmony and peace. It's the end of death and decay. It's the end of sickness and pain. Somebody say amen. Isn't that a great day that we can look forward to? 
It's the end of everything that's wrong in a sinful world. But that's not all. We see the, a great picture in the unbroken colt. The, where Luke 19.30 says, Whereon yet never man sat. Now, I worked with horses extensively as a teenager. And I broke horses and worked with them. And, and I know for a fact that you can't just jump on an unbroken colt and expect to ride it, especially not into a screaming crowd with people waving things all around you. Humanly speaking, they have to be broken. We understand that. Sometimes, I learned, they break you <laughs> if they can. Or you break them. One of the two is going to happen. And here, humanly speaking, no rider can just jump on an animal and ride calmly through a large crowd. This event points to the peace of the kingdom. Jesus didn't have to break the animal. He's the Lord of all. Under His hand, there is nothing but peace and harmony that exists. This is a foreshadowing, I believe, of the healing of nature under the future kingship of Christ. Isaiah 11:6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. What I love about Palm Sunday is that on one hand, it's telling everybody the number one thing you need to get done in your life is a proper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not about whether or not you're under Rome or not. It's not about if your circumstances are good or favorable to you. It is about your relationship with the Lord. That was what was supremely important. Today, just like the city of Jerusalem, we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ. I wonder if we recognize our primary need. Are we as people still concerned, overly concerned about temporal things? Do we worry more about our financial success, our job security, our health or lack thereof, than we do about spiritual things? Are we a people who are so busy doing things here that we never bother to consider the things that are eternally important? Palm Sunday clearly shows us that the temporal problems in our life are not as important as eternity. Do we have the right mindset on this Palm Sunday. Secondly, it's saying to Christians, God does care about this world. He will one day come and set everything right. It's in His timing. Uh, Christ comes in not looking for power, but looking to serve. He gives us not what we want or what we think we need. He gives us what we really need. And I'm asking you today, have you trusted Him for it? The question is the same today that it has always been, what will you do with Christ the King? He is the King. Whether we accept Him or reject Him does not change who He is. And yet, as, he, as the confrontational King, He presents Himself that way. You cannot, friend, you cannot today uh, look at the life of Jesus and say, yes, He was a good man. Or yes, He was a prophet. He's Lord or He's nothing. And the claims that Jesus Christ made, if He is not the Son of God, perfect, and is who He said He was, then He is the worst of all charlatans. He cannot be a good man unless He is who He says He was because of the claims that He made Himself. So we need to accept Him as He is or reject Him outright. And I hope you accept Him for who He is. Crown Him or kill Him.
That's what his challenge was to them that day. Obviously, we see the choice they made. But I'm not looking at the choice they made. I'm asking about the choice you're making on this Palm Sunday. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never accepted King Jesus into your life, you're here, I could ask the question a different way. You're here and I'm asking you now, are you 100% sure?